Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. It is that time of year again. It is the time where, I'm not sure anybody knew this, but we have 1.35 billion chicken wings being eaten during the Super Bowl. One in five people, according to WalletHub, would skip the wedding of a close friend or relative to watch their team in the Super Bowl live. More than one in seven would skip the birth of their child, they say in a survey smugly. My question is, who's the one that's not? To answer that and many other questions, our global editor at Reuters, Dan Colarusso. How's that? I would skip my own funeral to watch the Giants and the Patriots in the Super Bowl again. Although I think there are a lot of people who would rally around the crypt and start giving you a standing (laughs) O. But that's another story for another day. Um, Listen, bottom line of all of this is Super Bowl is an incredible event around the world. It's even more incredible for the host city now that they've confirmed how to do a two-week party. And it's even more incredible in a place like Minnesota, where notwithstanding the fact that it's going to be one degree, everybody understands it is a payback for their stadium development, but it's also once every 20 year during a bonding period opportunity to showcase the world. What do you think? Well, I think, you know, live sports, specifically big events, uh, have become what we call tentpole uh, events in the media business. Uh, the fact that cities have that same shot of the tentpole, but infrequently, you know, once every 20 years, once every 10 years, whatever it might be, um, it really does make it that much more important for a location to get it right. Um, and I think the interview you have coming up kind of speaks to that um, and speaks to kind of being a tentpole for a few different things uh, that, that, that helps the city be viable for the big events and trains the world to come to them. Kevin Warren, president of the Minnesota Vikings, has been involved in the development and building of the U.S. Bank Stadium. He took us on an exclusive tour of it. He has aspirations of bringing the Vikings to the Super Bowl, uh, uh, you know, one game away uh, this year. And frankly, somebody who has philanthropy, has business, has legal, he's a well-trained lawyer, uh, and, and he's somebody who you can really understand the history of. We caught up with Kevin Warren, and here is his perspective now. There were times when we all understand the dynamics of facility development these days, and it's, uh, it's more than just uh, uh, increasing property taxes, spending $20 million, making it a public works project, mm-hmm. having baseball right. and football in it, making it round and say, go play. Yeah. It is much different. And this is a, for lack of a better term after it was described here, this, to me it's a generational icon. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, first of all, it's, it's, I think it, uh, it's a phenomenal public-private partnership. Uh, it really shows that private business, private big business, the government can come together to do special things for the community, for kids, and, uh, and for the various uh, constituents involved. And uh, you're right, it's just, it's, it's, this is a complicated project because it need, needed to be designed in a manner that uh, it, would, it would stand the test of time not only from an operational standpoint, but also just from an integrity and community standpoint. We all understand from a general perspective, politics is fleeting, and we all understand that um, everybody has an opinion on 
stadium development, arena development mm -hmm. from the color of the seats to where the location should be to who takes care of the overruns and anything in between. The Vikings hadn't performed very well in the field for a while, mm -hmm. and there were also some behavioral issues, which in Minnesota don't work very well. Right. So you had a lot to overcome, yes. basically, and you did. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think what it is, and it really is uh, all the credit has to go to, to ownership. I mean, they've been supportive from the day that they bought the team and closed on the deal back in 2005. They provided all of us the resources financially and support. There's one thing for some owners to prov provide financial resources, but to provide financial resources and the support and the encouragement and to accept our ideas on this. Um, and that's what really became the kind of the economic energy behind this project. And so you're right. I think things are falling into place. This is a great project. It's good for us to come together. Uh, the community will use it. And uh, we hope we win a lot of football games uh, here and, and one day can bring a Lombardi trophy uh, back here to this building. Isn't it amazing how the, the enhancement of a brand makes people feel differently and better about the team on the field and then on the field all of a sudden things happen differently that you didn't even expect. Right. It happens in a lot of different sports and we've all seen that. The important thing I think people ought to also remember is that this is not just a football stadium. You've already had AC Milan as mm -hmm. we take this. You've right. had, you're having Luke Bryan. You're going from Luke Bryan to Metallica, right. which certainly pushes the right. ends of music. Right. But it's designed for baseball. You have a Final Four that's committed for mm -hmm. 2019. You'll be in the Super Bowl February 4th, 2017, mm -hmm. or you'll be around it. Yeah, right. And you'll, you'll have the X Games. This. Uh, is is truly an entertainment facility, not just a sports venue. Absolutely. I mean, you think that there will be some activity that will go on here on a daily basis, and uh, all the way from weddings to bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and uh, major concerts, major soccer games, uh, high school football, baseball, uh, our games, um, the X Games, like you said, we have the Final Four for 2019, the Super Bowl in 2018. There are just a lot of uh, excellent events, and I think what it shows is that this building was created in a way that it will cater to various groups, uh, and people will be able to enjoy, enjoy it at different levels, and so that's what we're excited about. How important was the downtown urban development regeneration mm -hmm. aspect from Target and Target on one side to you guys on the other side? I think very important. I mean, you think about it, there's been a billion dollars that's been invested in this area, and it's changed the complexity of it. I mean, there was a great picture in the Star Tribune a couple months ago where, where it showed a picture of, of downtown of where it was before this project began. But if you look what's happened now with the park and the commons area, uh, the, the condominium, the apartment development, just the, just the energy in this area of town is outstanding. So I think being in an urban setting was, was critical to the success of this project. And Rick, what's interesting about this is really it was 31 months ago that we played our last football game here. That's, yeah. that's just, you know, that's astonishing to think we actually played a football game that short a period of time in the same location. Because if you look at the most recent stadiums, whether it's uh, Indianapolis or Dallas yeah. or the New York Giants or San Francisco, they're built in a different location, which is much easier. So as I tell people all the time, I mean, we, we really uh, had two stadium projects going on, one getting ready to go play at the University of Minnesota, but to be able to tear the Metrodome down and then rebuild it here and be, be, have it ready to, 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 to operate within 30 months is nothing short of a miracle. We'll get back to that miracle in a minute, but it's actually two and a half because mm -hmm. you've got a training facility that's just opened up as well. Tell us about TCO. Yeah, so we're excited. I mean, we knew, just like you said, uh, anytime you want to rebuild and reshape a brand, uh, one of the areas that you can 
start in is one building an outstanding stadium, uh, but then also building a place that you practice and spend most of your days. You think about it here, the Vikings, I mean, we'll you know, play ten, at least 10 games here and hopefully a couple more playoff games a year here. We have an excellent young football team under the leadership of, of Mike Zimmer and Rick Spillman. But in order to round that out to really get us ready for the next 30, 40, 50 years is that we needed to develop a practice facility. So we purchased 200 acres uh, in Egan, Minnesota, uh, which is probably 12 miles from downtown. It's the former Delta Airlines, Northwest Airlines mm -hmm. site. And uh, so the topography of that land is beautiful. It's rich. It has lakes. Uh, so we broke ground uh, on that last Tuesday. And then we also announced a 20-year naming rights partnership with Twin Cities Orthopedics, uh, which will allow us to, to develop the best environment, best in class, a world-class environment for our players, staff, and coaches. Because for the last two years, we've had our employees in three different locations, out at Winter Park, where we currently are, another building across the street, and then we had our other sales and marketing and ticket office people here across the street from the stadium. So to be able to get them under one roof will be outstanding. And by the way, the beautiful facility with lakes and rolling hills, and he's very poetic in describing it. That's where Mike Zimmer is going to lock down these athletes and make them better, so they ain't going to see it. They're not. You're not. Right. <laughs> they may right. see some of it. Right. They're not going to see a lot. But of one it. thing, but, but the interesting thing about that, you know, the 40 acres is where our practice facility yeah. will be. But we have another 160 acres that we're going to develop. Where we'll have mixed-use housing, uh, restaurants, hotels, a conference center. Uh, retreat centers, and we really want to bring in the community. We're going to have Friday night uh, football games, high school football games. We're going to call it Skull Night, um, and and also give young uh, broadcast individuals an opportunity to film and, and be interactive in those games. My, my sense also, without reading about it, is, is if TC, if Twin Cities Orthopedic is involved, there will be some notion of sports medicine advancement Absolutely. and some treat, tra, treat and, and you got acreage to be able to experiment yes, on that too. Right. So it's good. Yeah. So we're excited. Yeah. They were a perfect partner and we're just excited to, to really develop it and hopefully it'll be the the uh, the kind of prototype for going forward in the National Football League. Speaking of partnerships, everybody talks about public-private partnerships and not too many people really understand what it means other than a vehicle to, to get more public money. Your case, not, not the case. You do have a pretty interesting mix. You've got 350 or so from the state and mm -hmm. 150 or so from the city, you take a substantial risk, you meaning the team and mm -hmm. private, but the perspective of corporations between U.S. Bank and their published $220 million deal and TCO mm -hmm. and some of your other partners, you're blessed with having a very vibrant and rich corporate community mm -hmm. in Minnesota, but you've also taken advantage of that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have, I think it's 19 Fortune 500 companies yeah. here in the Twin Cities area. Um, a lot of uh, also just excellent non-public companies like a Cargill. But you're right. But as you know better than anyone, you know, these companies don't put their name on brands that, uh, that aren't uh, structured and handle their business accordingly. So it took a lot of time and energy these last couple of years to make sure that we actually had something to bring to the table to build our brand, to build the stadium, to build our practice facility, and also to build a good football team and then just develop an environment uh, around uh, the Minnesota Vikings that really when people hear that name, it becomes synonymous with class and grace and style and really building a best-in-class environment. So we've been fortunate to be able to do that. That's a very important point from a business perspective for our, our, uh, our audience. You can identify a corporate headquarter and say that's in this city, and then you assume it's going to be one meeting and you sign on the dotted line because the corporate CEO plays golf with the owner of the team and that's it. This is rigorous. It is financial. It is legal. It is very complicated. Mm -hmm. And U.S. Bank might have been an obvious first meeting, but that 
in no way meant it was going to get the deal done, just like Lucas Oil in, 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 uh, in Indy or AT&T mm -hmm. in, in, in Arlington and Dallas. These are very complicated transactions. Every one of these uh, relationships, first of all, starts with a relationship. Yeah. You have to have a personal relationship. But, uh, you know, they stand on, on, on their own. And so you need to develop a personal relationship, a business relationship, and it can't just be an environment where we go to a meeting and say, hey, this is how you all are going to benefit us. We need to make sure we spend the time to say that the door swings both ways, that this is how you think we can benefit the Minnesota Vikings, but vice versa, this is how we think we can be a benefit to their brand. And that's why it's really important that we keep our brand clean, um, build a great football team, build a great business, and also be great community partners and really help all of these wonderful companies. I'm just... Uh, so excited to say we have all this business here in the Twin Cities, and most of the business that we do here is in the Twin Cities. And I think what it's doing is exposing people outside of the Twin Cities of how valuable this market is and how rich this market is. Let's go way outside. Forbes came up with, and it's interesting because these numbers are always um, in some ways made up, but they're, they're, mm -hmm. there's a good range. And Forbes, you're, you're 18th in the NFL as far as value today. It'll no doubt rise after the stadium opens. But of all of the 50 international sports franchises, the Vikings are, are 39th on the list of their value, $1.6 billion, but it is interesting to know how international the Vikings brand has mm -hmm. become and will become. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing we, we talk about. I mean, it's interesting. We have a, uh, one in particular, but we have a couple fans that fly in from the U.K. for our home games. And so I just think our, our, the nature of our brand and uh, the uniqueness of the colors and also the design of the uniforms and, and because of the, the, the international roots it has, there are yeah. some people who have followed it. But, uh, and we were fortunate a couple of years ago to play uh, in the UK against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I was really How'd that game uh, turn out it, it was outstanding. One, yeah. we we won the football <laughs> yeah, game; just, people I, stayed I, healthy. Yeah, yeah. But I was really it, it just reiterated. I knew it was this way, but to be able to see the magnitude of Minnesota Vikings fans around the world uh, was really refreshing. So, are you a pioneer for you know Roger Goodell uh, challenged his staff to uh, deliver twenty five billion dollars mm -hmm. annually by the end mm -hmm. of labor uh, uh, this labor agreement, which is uh, an interesting challenge, but so. International revenue on the horizon. Are we close to uh, looking at Real Madrid just got that billion six kit mm -hmm. deal for ten years? Right. Are we looking at international jerseys? Are we looking what 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 kind of international revenue streams do we see? I mean, I, I just think uh, you know the the opportunity for growth is amazing from yeah. an international standpoint. You know, whether it's actually from a tangible uh, you know uniform related standpoint or if it's more so from a media right standpoint. But I think what's happening. And we constantly challenge our staff on a daily basis that we really have to look, you know, yes, we have to take care of our Minnesota market, and then we have to take care of our, the surrounding states, and then we look at our fans on a national basis, but also, you know, this is a global game. And, and what are the creative ways that we can uh, pull in fans that, uh, who may not have a chance to come here? I heard a stat recently that only 4% of the fans around the world that call themselves Vikings fans will ever come to this building. Because you think about it, if we're sold out, your season ticket holders, typically we have re recurring business. But what, one of the things that we're focusing on here at the Vikings is the fan who lives in the U.K. Yeah. or who lives in Paris or who lives in Sweden or Denmark or whatever say, the case may be. Scandinavian affinity would be an interesting Absolutely. thing to look at. That they get the same feel that when they, when they see our Vikings brand, that when they follow us on Vikings.com, that they get a, get a uh, same feel as the person who actually lives here in the Twin Cities that comes to every home game. It is interesting that it used to be the 
a lot of the teams wanted to be last in for all of these games across mm -hmm. the pond, and now Jaguars, Rams, others want to be first in. Right. I, I just think, and again, you look where we're going to play in Mexico City yeah. this year. I mean, there's there's an entire you know potential opportunity just the way the world is going. You know, in China, I mean, there there's just some unique opportunities. So it's exciting, as I said, to have owners like we do have who are on the forefront of looking to grow the game, and, and it's not only from a business standpoint. It's just from a goodness standpoint. This is an excellent game. It's a, you know, football is a team-building game. It's a character-building game. I have a son who's going to be a senior in high school this year who's a football player, and, and I'm just excited that, uh, you know, he played as, at a, as a kid and in, and in high school, and it looks like he's going to have a chance to play at the college level. So, and I just look the way it's helped him to mature and the work ethic that associated with it. So I think it's the greatest game on the planet right now. We need to spread it. Did you hear that, agents? His, uh, his kid's going to be playing at the college level. Be very <laughs> careful. Right. Be careful about that. So just a couple more on, on, on competitiveness. You were, I know people don't want to think about it, but you were a chip shot field goal away from the next mm -hmm. round of the playoffs mm -hmm. uh, last year, and you're, you're, getting, you're entering uh, um, the first game of the world-class stadium on September 11. Uh, how do you manage expectations? I mean, I just think the, you know, part, part of, that's part of the growth process. You know, there may be some people who don't want to talk about how close we were last year, but I think it's, it's, it's good to refresh uh, and reflect upon that, that we were close. Um, but as, as just like every re business relationship, every season stands on itself. There's no guarantee that we'll win X number of games this year. Uh, I know one thing, Coach Zimmer is an excellent coach. Uh, he's tough. He's demanding. Uh, he keeps the player's mind uh, in a positive space. Rick Spillman has brought in a great talent. I'm excited about you know this season uh, to see the young folks uh, have an opportunity to grow and uh, and I and I think we'll do you know extremely you know extremely well. So there are other factors from injuries and all those things that go into play. But but it's really exciting not only to see the organization excited, but to see this community. Our, this community here is really excited about the Minnesota Vikings and about this new stadium. And, and to see a guy who is a, he grew up as a lawyer. He's a he's a he was a partner in a law firm. So. So inherently, there is a there is a limit on his enthusiasm. Not today. He's very he's very, he's very excited. Well, Kevin Warren has a lot to say. He's certainly in the business of economic development, masked as facility development director, masked as Minnesota Vikings president. So, what's your overall thought of the interview, and what do you think of the Super Bowl generally? Well, you know, it's it's really interesting. I think um, we are getting cold weather city Super Bowls now, right? We had one in New York a couple of years back. Um, Minnesota this time around, and you wonder how that skews the equation for all the related events. Um, and again, it's a balmy one degree in uh, in Minnesota. Did you say uh, it'll be? A, I think a high of one degree. Uh, ah, and ah. Uh, you know, the good thing is that uh, it's like Groundhog Day. Everybody kind of burrows around indoors, including getting to the stadium. But that's right. We're not well, playing golf. There's no but, golf there this week. But but I think it's interesting in that you know you set this up for the Super Bowl. And that's fantastic. But I think, you know, Kevin talked about the downtown redevelopment overall, and that's a year-round thing. And that'll even happen in, you know, in the spring, come the spring thaw. You know, the billion dollars invested in the area around the arena. Um, you have the Final Four there in March. You'll have, um, you've have, you have baseball there, obviously. He even mentioned bar mitzvahs. I don't know if he was kidding or not. But um, for a venue... It shows the flexibility. I think Minnesota is an exemplar of it. It shows the flexibility you need from a venue right now. It can't be a single-use thing, and the other uses can't just be thought can't just be built in as afterthoughts. You know, you saw how horribly the Brooklyn experiment had ended with the NHL, or is ending with the NHL. Um, great concert venue, great basketball venue, but a second professional team, which would have been a boon. They had it for a while. It looks like they're they'll be, they're they're losing it. 
you need to put a lot of thought into those other things because you need to be a 12-month venue to be financially viable both to the area and to the entities who, who are invested in it. Yeah, and from a balance sheet perspective, Kevin does make that point, but from a mega event perspective, as we talked about, they're getting the Final Four, they're getting major concerts, they're getting the religious revivals, as we've talked about. Uh, the NBA All-Star Game is in the not-too-distant future. And let's remember, the economic impact that's unquestioned by all of these, uh, I would say cynical, we would say academic economists, is that the economics of bringing people from other areas to these mega events during seasons when you might not otherwise have people in these hotels uh, is unquestioned. And what this does is you guarantee regular rotations for regular events, even in cold weather cities for years to come. And if you're a stadium development guy, as I have been, if you're looking at a 20-year bond cycle, you recoup your investment out of these major events the first maybe five, 10 years out of it. And that's one of the things that I think takes your comments about the bar mitzvahs to an entirely different level. Well, it, it's, it's, it's funny because you, you look at it and you could joke around about bar mitzvahs. He also talked about it being a museum in some sense, a theater in another sense. Um, but when you bring a Final Four or a Super Bowl or high, you know, high impact events, you get CEOs there. And CEOs look for places. Thompson, you know, full disclosure, Thomson Reuters um, has a huge presence in Egan, Minnesota. Um, big part of our, our corporate parent is there. You, you, you expose CEOs to cities and amenities and a sensibility that they may like. Um, you see the development going on in Nashville these days. You mentioned Indianapolis a lot. You know, you start to attract some corporate grist. And when you do that, that has returns, obviously, beyond anything else. Now, whether how much the public should, is willing to pay for a stadium and how much they know uh, about what they're paying for the stadium is another issue. But you can't knock both the short-term economic impact and the potential to change the sensibility of a place, much like Oklahoma City, or like you talked about a couple of weeks ago, Bob Greasy, South Florida. How does that all change around either an event or a winning team or just increased and heightened presence? Yeah, uh, it's a good point. The other piece of this is I, I have a, I'm, I'm looking as we speak at a ticket that I got and it sa- it has on it face value, $3,000, by the way. And that's even before the markup of the markup of the markup of the markup. Now, cynics would say that's terrible because that's corporate America, corporate greed. And those of us who understand how business is done would counter by saying these are people who are used to venues to do business around you're not going to have a whole lot of golf or swimming in Minneapolis this time, maybe some ice fishing. Not unless you got a whole really lot of corporate tough. people yeah. who at least yeah. for two days are flying in over a weekend without a whole lot of other stuff to do other than have meetings, do business, know a little bit more about Minnesota. And economically, it's a good thing to do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, the, and honestly, we were talking about it. The, it, it is the NFL's shot um, this year specifically. There's a lot of pressure on the Super Bowl. It's the NFL's shot to prove to the world that this decline we're seeing, both in gravitas and in ratings, uh, is not a long-term affliction, is not a permanent affliction, right? I mean, this is a great Super Bowl, although we've had good Super Bowls in the last couple of years, a great Super Bowl this time would go a long way to making uh, Roger Goodell and his, uh, his compatriots feel a little better, no? Yes, and one quick comment about all of that, too. The NBC uh, uh, streaming and, and, and simulcasting uh, 11 hours of unauthenticated, they call it, content in and around the big game. Started at 12 o'clock, a pregame stream, halftime show streamed, postgame show streamed, streamed on Yahoo, 
streamed on NBC. And, uh, I, you know, I don't care about streaming as much as the post-mortem um, uh, uh, measurement. You talked about the decline of ratings. Now, are we prepared as an industry to measure total number of eyeballs? Still not yet. Now they go into the Olympics, NBC does. And after February, we put the question again, how many people are watching and the $20 million person primetime Olympic figure that they're trying to get, that's streaming plus television, Super Bowl as well? I don't know. It's another issue for another day, but it's certainly something the industry's got to tackle. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and the NFL's problem is unique because they have great, um, a great long-term brand. They have the great revenue tributary in fantasy. Um, but they're a little bit adrift uh, in the traditional linear measurements, right, around, around ratings. And they have to figure out how to either solve that or change the conversation to a new metric. And getting to that metric is where they, is where they need the help. And, you know, you and I talked about it before we came on the air. You know, you need uh, quality matchup, quality teams, and, and you need something to elevate the sensibility of the game to get that you know, that Tiger Woods effect uh, to get to keep the casual people involved as opposed to them taking a step back because of either CTE, the national anthem, the, the violence, whatever it might be that has kind of moved society away from mainstream football fandom these days. Um, that's what you need. You need the casual ones back in the mix. Um, and that's going to be the tough part. Quality matchup, quality teams put you on the spot. You usually engage in kind of vague conundrums in your newsroom. Who wins and what's the score? I'm an NFC East guy, um, but because I'm an NFC East guy and a New York one, I can't root for the Eagles. Uh, it's hard to root for the Patriots, but because the Giants typically whoop up on them in the Super Bowl, um, I'll, I'll say the Patriots in a close game. Uh, okay, well, that's good enough. I mean, that helps me with score. So Eagles 21, Patriots 17, Ricardo, Dan Colarusso, speak with you soon. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. The producer, Alex Cohn. Associate producers, Freddie Joyner and Ryan Warner. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, and Ronnie Sokatch. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Colarusso. I'm Rick Haro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.